Hello, everyone. Welcome to Random Encounter 243 or 243. My name is John O'Logan, and I am here in spite of some very interesting weather that we've had in Canada lately. Uh, I don't think it made international news, but it's certainly making news across Canada. We had a few days ago a in Ontario and Quebec a 15-minute windstorm, and that 15-minute windstorm random, completely out of nowhere, caused a massive amount of damage uh, that knocked out power across pretty much everywhere. Uh, Toronto got power knocked out. I'm in Vaughan. We got power knocked out here for uh, 24 hours. There are places in Northern Ontario that like three or four days later still don't have power. Like it, this thing tore, uh, this thing tore like power uh, towers out of the ground, trees everywhere. It was crazy. Um, and it was crazy to watch it happen in real time. It was like, oh, it's fine out. And then all of a sudden it was like a tornado hit. Um, I don't, I've never experienced anything like it in Canada. Uh, so yeah, I didn't have power for a long time. And that made editing, that made editing rhythm encounter challenging. But now uh, we have power and the sky got dark earlier tonight. And Amanda and I looked at each other and we were like, oh no. And it just turned out to be rain. So um, yeah. That was my weekend. Um, I want to welcome two people on the show here, and I'm going to ask them a fun question about power outages. But hello, Audra. Welcome to the show again. Hello. And Caitlin, welcome back. Hi. When was the last time uh, you two experienced like an extended power outage? Like, I, I have memories of being a child and like power outages were like the most exciting thing and like all the power is out and it's dark and there's candles and things like that. You have to run around and it's such a change of pace. And then you, you become an adult and you start paying for your food. Uh, it becomes a little bit more stressful. When was the last time either one of you had like an extended power outage? Um, last summer we had, we were that without power for uh, most of the evening and part of the afternoon. So like, uh, not quite 12 hours, but kind of kind of a lengthy period. And it was, of course, it was like July, so it was Warm. hot out and that wasn't fun. Um, but uh, but then again, I live in a part of the United States that, you know, um, I'm, I don't live in Texas, basically, where they're crazy and don't want to be part of the national power grid. So I have never really had to experience like a, a multi, multi-day power outage before. Mm. For me, it was two weeks ago, actually at work, oh. the power went out for about five hours and they ended up shutting down work just because we didn't have running water or anything. Ah, yes. That was fun. Nice. Get to get to go home early. It's like a day home from school. Um, I suppose the day home from school concept is a little old after all of us have been working from home for two and a half years. <laughs> I want to go to school. Um, I feel like power outages during the day are like, oh, that's boring. It's light out. There's like, just there's nothing to really change. It's at night that power outages are kind of fun and because the candles come out and then you get to, what did I say to Mike? I said, I got to, uh, I got to edit rhythm by candlelight, just like they did in the 1800s. Um, yeah, so another problem with having power outages is that you can't really play video games unless you have fully charged systems around. And if you play on PC or PlayStation 5s or Xboxes, you don't really have a... If you have a Switch, you're all set. Or a Steam Deck. But, uh, Caitlin, you did not have a power outage, which means that you actually got to play through all of Vampire the Masquerade Swan Song, which was uh, just released last week. Yeah, um... <laughs> Sorry, I was not expecting that segue. I I wasn't expecting it either. It just kind of happened. Uh, 
Well, be that it, that it's done now. So yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, I don't know how to like like yeah power outages. Um, it, it's the dark. Vampires like the dark. Yes, they oh, do. They like go. candles. They yeah. like candlelight. Um, <laughs> you know, there's there's a funny funny story about that because uh, uh, not every traditional like. Uh, myth about vampires is represented in this franchise um they do still of course they can't stand the sunlight but i found it interesting that they are uh, there's lots of mirrors in this game mm. and they're not like they're kind of uh cheap reflections but they do reflect characters and they reflect the vampires and i was kind of like you know this is maybe the one game where the whole crappy, you have a mirror, but it doesn't reflect the player character, which always looks horrible. Like, why even bother showing the environment if you're just going to not show my character? Would get good, would get a good excuse. It would have a lore <laughs> excuse. Like, mm -hmm. I was almost kind of, like, disappointed that they reflected in mirrors because it was like, oh, oh, okay, so... Okay. Like, you know, it would have been kind of fun. All those games where you're like, why do I see everything except my character? And it's like, we could have had a fun little meta thing. But okay, that that is a, you know, neither here nor there. So Vampire the Masquerade. Um, I, this is my first time playing uh, any game in the series. I've never played the tabletop RPG that the games are based on. Yeah, it's a very, it's a long running series uh, with previous titles that include Vampire the Masquerade, Redemption, Bloodlines, and uh, Courtiers of New York. Mm-hmm. Courtiers. Coterie uh, is how we're, mm, I don't know. Courtiers. It's a weird word. Um, yeah, I don't, uh, anyway, uh, and there are various, there are some different genres like uh, Redemption and Bloodlines are third person with a few first person sections. Uh, New York is a visual novel, and uh, this is first person. Is this first person? No, this is a third person. This is third person again. Okay. Uh, narrative uh, RPG. Cool. And this is your first time playing one. First, my first time playing a game in the series. Yeah. 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 So, um, I that was that was kind of an interesting experience because uh, thankfully there is a codex in the game that uh, updates with character bios and uh, commonly used terms. Like you know, yeah, I had to kind of learn the lingo um in this game the the vampires are called the kindred and the act of making a vampire is called the embrace and there's this thing called the beckoning that i guess once you're an old enough vampire you kind of just wander off and i i don't know what they do but like they they just kind of leave at one point um and it definitely was a little bit of a uh, the very first chunk of the game i was definitely using the codex a lot because i all i knew about the universe was they're vampires they rule society from the shadows uh and the masquerade is like this global conspiracy that they use to hide their existence from mortals um so and things the way the game starts so basically uh swan song is set in boston in 2019 there is, uh, of course, there are vampires there who rule the roost, and they are all set to go to this fancy party celebrating a 
uh, partnership between the local uh, Camarilla sect and the Hartford Chantry, which are a, another set of vampires. They're known for their blood magic. And then suddenly a code red happens. And a code red in this universe is sort of like their the vampire version of a uh, shelter in place, but also burn all the evidence kind okay. of thing. They all have to like get together and hide and they're going through all of all of their records to to get rid of anything that could reveal their their existence to mortals but nobody knows what's happened why the code red went off what happened at the party uh it's all kind of like a a, a cluster um so the, the the sort of the game sort of starts with you arriving at this safe house location and talking about the code red so it all it already kind of starts off in the in the element as it were we join the story already in progress yeah kind of um and you know i think that also that 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 sense of urgency made it a little was a little bit like at first i wasn't sure what's going on? Who are these people? Why is this super important? But you do pick it up pretty quickly once you get through those opening minutes and you, you sort of peruse the, uh, the codex a little bit. And then once you start jumping into the actual, like the, the first chapter is sort of like a prologue where you get introduced to your three playable characters and the, the major supporting cast. And then from that point on, each chapter is focus on one character each and you you know you start sort of investigating what happened at the party what the code red is you know what's going on uh and all that good stuff and uh at that point i think the, the story kind of really hits a good stride and i found myself really getting into the details of uh these characters there's there's uh a decent amount of like backstory for your three characters and learning some juicy details about them and their relationships with other vampires. Hmm. So there's a Mem Lewis. Um, she is, she's a, I guess we would call her an up and coming vampire. She runs a series of clubs in uh, Boston. She's not really at all interested in uh, vampire politics um, she has an ex-girlfriend who is pretty controlling and possessive, doesn't really like her. Um, and her her role in the game is she's often sent to uh, infiltrate enemy territory and or, you know, like, you know, quote unquote, uh, ally territory and mm. try to, you know, figure out what's going on or or, you know, um, uh, secure partnerships and whatnot. Um, Galeb Bazori is the uh, old, uh, well, old. He's one of the eldest vampires uh, in the Camarilla, and he's very, very loyal to their leader, who's called the Prince. Um, he doesn't have a good relationship with his child, which is the vampire term for a vampire that you sire. Mm. Um, and he's sort of like he's the guy that they rely on to get shit done, the dirty stuff. If someone something needs to happen, regardless of whether it means, you know, killing a bunch of people or whatnot, he's the guy that they send in. So he's like the um, the enforcer in 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 a way. Okay. Um, and then last but not least is Laisha, who does not have a last name. Um, 
Laisha is, uh, I guess she's a psychic of sorts. She has premonitions, um, but she's uh, basically hot out of a mental, a vampire mental institution because she's seen as unstable by the rest of the vampires. Um, but she's really cool because she can turn herself invisible and uh, uh, make herself look like other uh, uh, other characters uh, to sort of infiltrate environments. And so she gets to go and sort of find out what actually happened at the party. Um, and then she gets to um, try and track down uh, some information about a vampire within the Camarilla who may not be all on board with them and all that. Um, and she also, this was interesting to me she has a daughter uh not a child a daughter who's also a vampire but there's some developments in her storyline that things take a really interesting turn um and a lot of her uh relationships involve her daughter and her her therapist her psychiatrist (laughs) it's uh it's interesting like, um, I wasn't sure I was expecting to learn so much uh, sort of uh, juicy, you know, like uh, baggage that some of these characters have with other vampires. Um, and like you have choices for how you deal with that baggage and those choices can affect, uh, you know, assuming that all three characters survive to the end of the game, which you, you can get them all killed if you so desire or if you mess up presumably will be a game over no the game will continue oh really uh i mean it'll be a horrible ending if you get all three of them killed oh okay but you you cannot get one of the you can't get them killed until like the very end of the game anyway like okay the final Uh, like chapters or series of chapters uh is is pretty much where they can all die um, and I presume if you do that, then the bad, well, the quote unquote bad guys uh, win. This is another game where you're kind of, you know, like it's a little bit ambiguous as to you're playing protagonists, but they're not necessarily the good guys. Yeah, they're I mean, the traditional view of vampires, just it, there's a certain amount of moral ambiguity that comes with that i guess you could say Mm -hmm. so yeah so assuming that they all survive your choices can affect like uh you know what's going on with them at the end of the game um and there are a lot of uh there are a lot of decision points where the game gives you sort of like a binary you can do this or you can do that like um you can one of the very first things that a mem is asked to do is to find her friend journey who planned the party and take her to the prince and you can choose to either do that or you can choose to like help journey run because journey is like being you know you're afraid that she's being set up to take the fall for it Hmm. um but then you also have uh, less binary options for how you might uh, engage in getting the information that you need um, as you proceed through each chapter. And each, there's generally, every chapter kind of works in a similar way where you're in an, an environment and you're exploring that environment. You can click on lots of different little points of interest to uh, learn information or to find passwords or or find uh, 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 consumable items that you can use in the game. 
Um, you can talk with people uh, and you'll have actual, like you'll have dialogue options. Um, and that's uh, where a lot of your skills uh, and your vampire disciplines come into play. Um, and then you do, you know, partly through those dialogues, but also partly through like, you know, how you choose to resolve a situation can affect the resolution of that chapter, but then it can also, some of the decisions, not, not all of them, some of them seem like they would be important choices that would get referenced later and they weren't always uh, that important. Um, but a lot of them will at least affect things later on in the game and then the ending and things like that. How does the, uh, do you switch between the characters on the fly or do specific chapters focus on specific characters or are they in a party? Like how does the, how do the three characters work in terms of playing the game? Uh, so the first chapter, the prologue, uh, basically introduces you to each character one at a time. You don't, you don't have any control over, you, you know, when you're playing as who, the game starts you as a mem, and then you play as Laisha, and then you play as Galeb. After you get out of that intro chapter, each of the three characters, they're going to different places. They're not together. Uh, you basically have a level select where you can choose which character you want to play as first. Hmm. Um, and then once you play as that character, then your choices are the other two characters, and then the last one, the one you didn't pick. Um there doesn't seem to be any effect with like, you know, if you choose to do Galeb's chapter first, it doesn't change anything for the other characters. It doesn't change how the story progresses. It's just like, who do you want to play as first? Mm. Um, and then each of those chapters is sort of like it's its own, like, you know, self little contained environment that only that character is going to go to and explore um, and, you know, do stuff with. Okay. Um, how do the different characters play? Like, I'm assuming that based on the descriptions that you gave me earlier, uh, each their personalities and their abilities would lend well to like, I don't know, conversation and one would be really good at like being a blunt object and the other would be really good at stealth. Is that kind of how it works? Sort of, yeah. So every character has access to uh, the same set of skills. Um, it's not a communal pool. It's just they all have access to the same set. So they're all vampires. They're all vampires. Um, and those are things like you have dialogue skills like persuasion or intimidation. Um, and that comes into play when you're whenever basically you're talking to another character and you have dialogue options. Some of them don't require skill usage, but others do. And then you sort of engage in a a little bit of a, a tabletop-esque role play you know roll of the dice thing where whoever has the higher number wins and if there's a tie then you roll a dice to see you know who breaks the tie and stuff like that um, and those skills can be useful for things like getting more information out of a character um, they're also uh, sort of if you've ever played uh, Deus Ex, um, Human Revolution, there's sort of like social battles. They're called mm. confrontations. Um, and you have a certain number of wrong answers that you can select before you fail the confrontation. Um, and using your skills can be really helpful there because as long as you pass the check, it's a guaranteed win. Uh and those are things like the confrontations can sometimes, you know, if you fail a confrontation at first, it might be just like, well, you don't get some information or access to a stash from a character. But it could all, it could be something as serious uh, uh, as if you fail this confrontation, your character dies. 
So mm. they're, they're, the stakes can be low, but they can also be kind of high with these. So picking the right skills can be really helpful for that. You also have uh, exploration skills, um, things like uh, security and technology that let you uh, ha- pick locks or hack computer passwords. Um, those I would not recommend you put points into unless they're free, because um, unless you plan on not exploring the environments, because for the most part, I almost never had to use those skills. I found keys and I found passwords just by thoroughly exploring the environment, which is cool. I like that. I like the fact that, you know, as long as you are diligent about clicking on every little thing and reading emails and like that, you can usually find ways to get into computers and and locked safes. But it does make those two skills a little useless unless you just really don't want to spend the time exploring the environment. And honestly, exploring the environment is half the fun of this game. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And then there's uh, education and deduction skills that can be useful for uh, gleaning a little bit of extra information or figuring something out in a conversation, um, which can occasionally give you a little bit of more like what's going on here. They're not necessarily as useful or vital as the dialogue skills, but they are there for flavor. So that's that's the that's one half of uh, your character sheet, as it will. The other half is the vampire disciplines. Now, those are interesting because uh, vampires have different disciplines based on the clan that they're part of. There's like you know a half dozen, or sorry, not half dozen. There's like a dozen uh, different vampire clans. Um, and it all has to do with, I guess, you know, like who their ultimate ancestors are, different different bloods uh, that they, you know, get brought into the, the vampire line with, give them different abilities. So, uh, for instance, um, Laisha is uh, a Malkavian, and that gives her the ability to, like I said, to turn invisible or to take on the appearance of other characters um which is like really i had so much fun using her skills in particular um galeb uh, has uh his unique discipline is a fortitude skill that basically lets him withstand pain which unfortunately doesn't get used very much in the game so outside of one confrontation it's kind of useless mm-hmm. um and then Amem is, uh, her unique discipline is called Celerity, and this lets her uh, blink, uh, teleport from like spot to spot, and also slow down time, which can be useful for some, uh, some puzzles that she encounters. Um, and then every vampire, in addition to a unique discipline, also has two other disciplines that are shared by one of the other characters. So like, Amem and Laisha both have the Auspex discipline, which lets them sort of heighten their senses and like follow scent trails or hear distant conversations. And Laisha and Gala both have the uh, Dominate discipline, which lets them use their vampire powers to control people and force them to do something or or tell them something or whatnot. So there's a lot, there's, you know, there's some similarities between them, but they all have something unique that makes them feel different from the other two, uh, the other characters. And that was, even though like, for instance, Galeb's felt largely useless throughout the majority of his chapters, it was nice to have like, oh, well, Amem's 
a mem's nimble. She can, you know, she can jump from space to space and, and Alicia can really kind of sneak through environments and whatnot. Um, it really kind of helped to, uh, differentiate characters. differentiate them and make mm-hmm. them feel more unique um and there's a few other things that get, get thrown into the mix there's um there are talents that you can develop as you use your skills and disciplines to make them better so for instance um uh, you can eat rats if you oh. need to <laughs> um that hmm. ties into the resource management uh involved with your skills and your disciplines skills burn willpower you start every chapter with like um a full bar of willpower and every time you use a skill you burn a certain amount of willpower you can regenerate it by uh getting through dialogue successfully or by using consumable items disciplines on the other hand generate hunger so you start with zero and you eventually get to a full bar and uh you will eventually need to feed in order to lower Ah, your hunger. I'm assuming this is where the killing of innocents comes in. Yes. So you can, usually you don't want to eat rats if you can't help it because. Oh, generally uh, not. No, I try never to. (laughs) Well, it's kind of a weird thing because like, um, so I guess eating rats is frowned upon by the, the vampires that, uh, you know, the, the powers that be, but you're always alone when you, you know, there's no other vampires with you when you, you know, if you have to feed on a rat. So it's like, how would they know that I'm feeding on this thing? Rat breath. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, usually you want to eat, you want to eat people. And uh, there's a little mini game involved where you like, you have to find a safe zone, uh, some, some place that, you know, is isolated and you'll go talk to them. You'll, you'll lure them there and then you have to hold the button to feed but if you hold it too much you you drain all of their blood and you kill them um and that ties into a suspicion meter which is essentially kind of a difficulty modifier uh the more the higher the meter gets the harder some of the dialogue checks become Hmm. um and those are just like your the game says like if you kill mortals or if you eat rats or if you leave uh documents or other things that might clue the mortals into our existence then your suspicion goes up um they're all it seems to do is just make the dialogue checks harder so it's not like it's going to like if you max it out i don't think it's a game over it just makes some things a little bit harder but even then i i got through the game and got just about the best ending with my suspicion meter most of the way full um, but the talents can come in and help things like that. Where, like, you know, if you eat enough rats, uh, you'll gain a talent that makes you gain a lot less suspicion when you eat a rat in the future. And there are traits that you can earn based on how you uh, engage in different situations that might, say, lower the experience cost for your next, uh, you know, a certain skill or might improve your um, your effectiveness at different dialogue skills. So there's little things there that you can sort of play with uh, to sort of, you know, there, there's a certain amount of like um, tabletop kind of feel to, you know, some of the, the background systems at play here. And that is probably 
something that, you know, if you're a fan of tabletop RPGs or if you're a fan of this tabletop RPG, the original, you know, before they started making video game adaptations, uh, that might be kind of cool. Mm. I mentioned in my review the something I didn't really like very much is the fact that you can only use experience to, you know, build your skills and your disciplines uh, at the beginning of every chapter. God, that's a weird choice. Yeah, and uh, I understand, you know, on the one hand, why, like, you know, you have to, you, your choices have to matter. If you could do it at any time, you could just game the system. But at the same time, I usually had next to no clue what was going to be the most useful for me to use in a given chapter. Um, and, you know, I, I ended up usually just sort of building skills based on, what I the sense I got from the archetypes uh, of these characters. So like Galeb is, you know, kind of intimidating and then the enforcer and the, you know, take no prisoners kind of guy. So I beefed up his imitate his uh, intimidation skill and I made sure to put points into his dominate skill. Um, but he still ends up having a lot of dialogues where he could have used a uh, persuade or psychology. And because I never thought I was going to need those skills, I didn't put points into them. So I couldn't use those, uh, those, those dialogue options. It actually, this is not necessarily maybe the best, uh, um, description of the game's strengths. In fact, it might not be a strength at all. Uh, the, final confrontation with Galeb, I had to restart several times because I did not want to fail it. Mm. And I did not really have a good set of skills for that confrontation um, because of a very particular uh, quality of the person I was confronting that I didn't wasn't expecting. Um, and I did it, but it took me several tries. And I'm, that sounds awful. I should have just gone with my initial, you know, like, you know, natural, like, this is what happens. But um, I didn't want to fail it. And it, I ended up being happy that I didn't fail it, because I think I would have liked it less if I had. Of course. Um, but I mean, it's that kind of scenario where like, you spent you spent at this point an entire game building, building your skills. Yeah. And I just did not have the right skills built up for that confrontation uh, to do it without having to basically retry several times in order to get through it. Um, so, I mean, that kind of, that kind of, that kind of sucks a little bit. So I don't know if there is a different way they could have made it so that you could still have a little bit of, you have to make choices and live with them, but I don't know, make it so that it doesn't quite feel as punishing if mm -hmm. you go down the wrong path. So, but I, then again, this is a narrative RPG. You know, you are very much just encouraged to play it multiple times and get different results. Um, it does sound like there's a lot of choices to be made in this game. So there's some incentive there to replay. Yeah, mm -hmm. for sure. Um, and there's even a level select feature that lets you go back and restart uh, any chapter that you have uh, already reached. Um Unfortunately, when you do that, though, uh, you then have to, if you want to see the effects, you have to keep playing from that point. You can't, you can't choose an early chapter, make different choices in that chapter, and then jump forward to a later chapter and see the results. You have to then play through the rest of the game. It's cumulative then, yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of wish it had been uh, a little, you know, 
a little bit more forgiving. But at least, you know, if you don't really want to start over a new game, you just want to start from this mid-chapter, you can do that. I feel like RPGs, narrative-based games in general that offer a variety of choices should offer that as an option because i mean if i want to see you know what what could happen i my instinct is to go to youtube nowadays um it's not like it's you know i just watch a youtube video of someone doing a let's play with making the different choices whereas i feel like if you built that into the game or like a story map yeah yeah it's um it's not at all like for instance detroit become human which had a great sort of story map that showed you all of the choices that you make and made and and what happens as a result and lets you jump around uh, as you see fit um, if you want to go back and and replay things. It's it's much more um, uh, limited than that. Um, But I I guess, you know, nice to have the option. On a more superficial level, how does the game look? It looks good if you're talking about static images environments <laughs> if you're playing it as a vn it looks fine environments look good um and the character models for the most part look okay uh it's animations that really are kind of bad like they're stiff and uh almost cartoonish sometimes and Oof. i um I don't, you know, that could have worked if the game was a sort of, if there was like a stylistic kind of uh, intent there. I don't really get the sense that there is here. I think they were really going for more realistic and then they just, the animations just suck. Yeah. Um, facial animation in particular is, can be really awkward. Like, it can kind of take you out of things a little bit sometimes, like until you get used to it and just kind of, you know, this deal with what is, it is what it is. But, um, Hmm. but yeah, it's a little unfortunate. I mean, this is, this is a game that I played for the characters in the story and not for the graphics. Uh, Obviously the the physical acting is bad. How is the actual acting? How is the voice acting? Uh, For the most part, it's pretty good. Most, the main characters are all good. Most of the supporting cast are good. There's a a character here or there that is kind of bad. You're the, the leader of the Camarilla vampires is probably one of the worst uh, um, uh, performances. She's just really I'm not sure if it's, you know, the the voice direction. It's just there's there's a lot of weird uh um delivery with her lines. So, you know. So I mean, some of it's mostly it's good, but there's a few, you know, out yeah, uh, um bad performances that stand out. Okay. One thing I like about the look of this game is how the vampires the vampires look like they exist in the 21st century. I think that's one of my things that I can't stand about vampire fiction is that a lot of people's conception of vampires is, well, Dracula, it's gothic. It's, you know, it's mm-hmm. that, it's that kind of thing and that mentality and that age. And the reality is if you look at like vampires would have existed back then and they would have evolved and their societies would have evolved as everyone does. So I like how it's kind of, it, it it's taking what appears to be some of the, uh, the court idea, like the, there's the prince and there's the, but it's moving it into a modern context. And that seems kind of interesting. And I mean, I guess that's part of the whole, you know, the point of the lore is that they, uh, they've existed for thousands of years, um, but they do still exist and they thrive and they're all over the place and they are 
supposed to be running society. So they kind of have to, they have to fit into a certain extent with a modern world. So they can't, you know, they have to wear modern clothes and use modern devices. A vampire would use an iPhone. Yeah. And you actually do, you can find a couple of phones in the game and you can look at their their text messages and and I'm wondering if various vampire sects have like like there's an android sect there's an iphone sect there's there's a blackberry sect but they live underground um <laughs> okay so I, I was just looking at your uh at your review here uh you ended up giving it an 80 uh you really enjoyed it uh despite the fact that it has some rough edges to it reviews of this game have been across the board really it's like some people have really really enjoyed it some people just absolutely hated it um it's like, I mean, it sounds like you actually really, really enjoyed it and you are looking forward to uh, future games in the series. Yeah. I mean, like I, uh, I think I didn't even, I never heard of Vampire the Masquerade until uh, Bloodlines 2 was announced. Mm. Uh, and uh, of course, I mean, who knows when that's coming out because it's been delayed a lot. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, once I got used to all of the, the lore and the backstory that I didn't have, cause I never, you know, really looked into, uh, the world before, um, there's a lot of, a lot of potential, I guess, with this whole sort of, uh, this idea of the, the vampires are here and they're running things, but they're secretive and they have their own internal politics and there's, there's history there of like, you know, it, it, it's not like they're all hunky dory and they've all been united. There's been infighting and, and usurpations and, uh, you know, all these different things. Um, and then you throw in the whole, you know, supernatural, like, you know, these are creatures who drink blood and can, uh, well, I never saw anyone turn into a bat. So I'm, I'm not sure if that's a thing that is possible <laughs> in uh, this universe, but you know, they can do stuff like that. Um, so it does make me, I, I, I would be, I would be down for a swan song too, if they wanted to keep doing uh, another sort of narrative adventure uh, like this. Um I certainly really, you know, got to like the three characters that I played as. Um, so uh, despite, you know, the visual issues, despite, you know, some of the mechanical issues, uh, despite, you know, uh, that it was, I, you know, I, I think it's a decent game. I think if, uh, if you're a fan of the franchise, I think it's, especially because, I mean, uh, I guess there's Blood Hunt, but if you, I'm not really... I don't know if Blood Hunt is necessarily going to be satisfying for people who like are really waiting for Bloodlines 2 to come out. Yeah. Um, and since we don't know, I'm not sure what the story on Bloodlines 2 is when we can expect it. I don't, I think the idea is we shouldn't expect it anytime soon. I believe it's shuffled around through a number of different developers and we don't know who's currently working on it. Which doesn't necessarily give me a lot of confidence. No. So. Yeah, it doesn't bode well. The fact that this came out though is uh, a sign that the series is still alive and hopefully, uh, Hopefully it will uh, get a little bit of interest built behind it, and maybe that might give Bloodlines 2 a push. Yeah. Well, thank you very much for uh, talking about the Vampire, the Masquerade Swan Song. Um, I wonder how the tabletop RPG is. I would be I would be curious about that. I might mention it to Amanda, um, because she is the tabletop RPG expert in this household. Whereas I know next to nothing about it. <laughs> I only I only know I only know computer RPGs um, or console RPGs or you know, that kind of thing. 
Um, another genre that I am not familiar with, however, is visual novel. Um, I don't really play a ton of visual novels, which is weird because I, I do love a good story. Um, and a new visual novel just came out called Arcade Spirits, The New Challengers, uh, which Audra dived into. And uh, there's a review that should be on the site yeah. by the time we publish this. Yeah, it is. It can't. It, yeah. And uh, yeah, Audra. So I imagine that listeners would be able to tell based on Arcade Spirits, The New Challengers, uh, they might be able to guess what this is about. And it's about arcades, essentially. Uh, the New Challengers being an obvious reference to Super Street Fighter 2, The New Challengers. Yes, that is actually quite correct because the esports scene is very much alive and well. <laughs> Along with arcades, it's set in an alternate history timeline where arcades never went out of style out of fashion did you ever go to the where was the arcade that you used to go to when you were a kid i imagine that everyone had one. Oh, i, I know there you? were some arcade machines in movie theaters and stuff but okay. i never had a actual arcade we had an arcade uh in the highland square mall in new glasgow um and basically whenever my parents would take me to the mall i would just immediately head to the arcade with a bunch of quarters and play games oh nice yeah so i have some very fond memories of going to the arcade which i imagine that this game would evoke because based on the screenshots it, it yeah it's an alternate history where arcades still exist um but also alongside that the esports scene as it exists in today's world especially for fighting games so uh why don't you tell us a little bit about arcade spirits the new challengers basically you play as you can actually create your character which I found really fun to do. And you can even um, choose pronouns for them. And you can customize a rival and have your rival be someone that you're either friendly with or that you really can't stand, <laughs> which I thought was a fun narrative buildup. And essentially, you're a PC gamer who you don't really know much about the arcade scene, despite it being still around at this time frame. But you want to get into the esports because you love this game called Fist of Discomfort 2, mm -hmm. which is a fun little title. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's nothing suggestive about that. Nope. <laughs> and so you, your rival suggests that you get a virtual AI assistant that um, she ends up being this computer program named Iris who helps you. She decides she's going to help you build the esports team that you need. Maybe not so much to win, but that would yeah. actually help you just become a better person. Oh, so you're building a community essentially. Mm -hmm. And so she leads you to an arcade that's actually part of a laundromat slash pizzeria. Well, that's one stop fun. shopping. <laughs> yep. And there you meet some new uh, teammates that you have to convince to actually become this esports team. And along the way, you end up becoming friends with them. And it's basically just about them rising to the top of the esports scene, but also becoming friends and maybe even more because Iris wants to help find you romance and stuff if she can or friendship. Oh, she makes Siri look terrible. <laughs> She does. I don't even I don't even want to know what would happen if I asked Siri, Siri, find me love. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's also like a there's a secret dark side to the arcade scene, which they kind of go into in a little what they call a Tron ripoff. Oh, OK. Kind of a fun little side story. Despite the fact that it's called The New Challengers, which, again, Super Street Fighter 2. Uh, and I imagine that Fists of Discomfort 2 is a fighting game. Yes. Okay. It's more like you can actually play it 
in the game itself and it's That's more like a ask, rock yeah. paper scissors okay so it's not like a full <laughs> you're not you do not need to be good at fighting games to play this game oh no uh that's good to hear um and uh it seems like 90s nostalgia is absolutely permeating uh this game and it looks like i'd say early 90s nostalgia yes they um make a lot of references to 90s shows and early 90s shows and sitcoms and i mean it's set in the far future and these things come back eventually so Mm -hmm. the 90s are back again this time in the far off year of 20 xdx yeah and it's very i mean the colors are all retro inspired and even just the visuals are very 80s, early 90s. Yeah, I'm looking at some of the screenshots in the review here and the screenshot of uh, there's just a, three people talking and in the background there are lots of uh, lots of parodies of a variety of different gaming companies like mm-hmm. Methuselah instead of Bethesda uh, and Mega instead of Sega and things like that. Yeah, they do do a lot of um, kind of cameo things and they actually do, they have the actual games and companies but they trademark them which i thought was kind of funny in the <laughs> like they'll have the tm right by the name of an actual an actual thing yeah yeah so it looks like this has a pretty massive cast of characters actually so how many people usually are on your esports team at the moment i believe it's six counting you let me make sure that's okay okay you domino zapper sorry no it's fine <laughs> loxley grace Rhapsody. Yeah, it's six. Sorry. Okay, cool. Uh, and I assume there's a lot more characters than just those six. Yes, they have rival teams and your Matt rival, and ben, obviously. Yep, your rival, who joins like the best esports team. Of course they do. So like my rival. Yep. And it's a visual novel, so obviously choice plays a massive role in this game. Uh, in terms of uh, obviously which path you go in terms of your friends in terms of I imagine the romantic options that you have as well yeah there's actually a lot of interactivity in the game I was kind of surprised because usually I've played some VNs where the choices are not they're limited Mm -hmm. and this one it's very much you get quite a few right from the get-go well caitlin was quite disappointed because vampire the masquerade swan song didn't allow you to you could pick another you could go back to another level and like pick a chapter pick a chapter and then do something different but you wouldn't be able to see the results of that can you win this you mentioned that there's in the review you mentioned there's like a rewind and fast forward function yes you can play the game once through and then you unlock rewind which allows you to go either back in time or forward in time depending on what you your preference mm-hmm Kind of like a skip feature, but the moving backward is actually a little interesting. So you can actually go back to choices that you've made and see what if you out the outcome will be different if you make a new one. Okay, so you're not like you don't have to restart the game and play from nothing and choosing all the different options. Like you genuinely can kind of go back and see what could have happened. Yes, but you have to beat the game once. You have to beat the game once. Okay, Mm -hmm. that makes sense. That seems a solid reward, and I feel like that would be preventing people from spam uh, spamming it. Yep. I like the graphics. Uh, The visual style is uh, how can I put this? It's very flat. Like there's not a, there's not a lot of shading here. It's like realistic cartoon '90s kind of thing. Yeah, I think they went for that style on purpose just to make yeah. it fit the storyline. Yeah, it's uh, very the animation. I'm not. Sh- is there any animation in the game, or is it static characters? Pretty much static characters. There's once or twice animation when they go into like there's an evil AI arcade game, mm-hmm. and they have like a little digital smile that it does. <laughs> 
Okay. But not too much animation. It's mostly mm-hmm. static. Who was your favorite character in the game? If there's no spoilers there. I loved Grace. Grace was probably, she was my spirit person, I think. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just related to her so much. Um, probably Rhapsody, actually. I really liked them. They ended up being my best friend. Aw, that's Whenever nice. I played it. <laughs> I miss the days when I, I mean, this is going into the whole, the whole world as it currently exists, COVID crap, but being able to go out and make new friends is mm-hmm. something that is somewhat difficult in today's world. Even if you are, you know, going out there, there's still a lot of barriers in the way. I mean, obviously, including the, the one on your face, uh, hopefully anyway. Um, so this kind of game where you actually get to, I guess, get to know people and get to know characters. That's nice. It's a nice escape. Yeah. And I did appreciate they had a lot of, they have a very good messages about, you know, like self care and seeking help when you need it to actually, which I was quite surprised by, but it was pleasantly. Yeah. I liked how, their approach to it. Yeah. You mentioned in the review that there's a section that uh, involves linking to the national suicide prevention lifeline. There's actually, it's one of the scenes I was, I, kind of got surprised that they had it in there, but I thought that the message afterwards was quite well done to, to be like, seek help if you need it. I like that. Is it, or is it organically woven in or is it, does it just tell you seek help? Well, they have it, it happened, the scene happens right at the end of a, that they call a level, which is basically just a story chapter. Yeah. And Iris will always do a summary about what was like your decisions and how people view you and stuff afterwards. And she just goes, Oh, wow. Well, here's, if you really need help with something, go here. Here's this number. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. Uh, See, that seems, that seems fairly organic. Well, like it's not technically organic because she's an AI, but it seems like that is logical and put in there the way it is. Um, So does the game have any voice acting or is it just entirely text? It does have voice acting. Some of it is good. Some of it I wasn't the biggest fan of. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I have I've heard worse in other games, so I quite liked. It. A lot of it was stock phrases, and then occasionally there'd be a major scene where they'd have a lot of dialogue spoken. Ah, okay, I see. Um, how's the music? I mean, I imagine that it's not set in the '90s, but it is very '90s inspired. So I'm just curious what the music would sound like. It's very '80s, early '90s kind of synth sound and it fits for the arcade old school gaming feel okay i'm kind of into i'm kind of into 90s music right now i got into this youtube channel called uh todd in the shadows and he's he's a musician who uh he analyzes songs and he has this and he has this incredible series about one hit wonders where he will go in and specifically analyze a one hit wonder and why it works why it didn't why the career didn't go after that and uh, uh, absolutely disturbing number of these videos are based in the 1990s. My God, the 90s had some one-hit wonders. <laughs> so I'm I'm kind of like in that 90s music mood right now. It's definitely a a fun soundtrack if you like that. Yeah, I think. yeah. And there's even a nice little vocal song for the ending theme. Oh, that is nice. Mm-hmm. It's funny. I know that the game is going for an homage to Super Street Fighter 2, the new challengers with its title. This is actually a sequel as well, isn't it? Yes. Apparently, I did not... I knew it was connected to the original Arcade Spirits, but you actually don't need to know anything about the first game to really dive into this one. Mm-hmm. They have a few returning side characters, and I 
found out about most of them actually after playing the game that they were in the original. So it's more the world that it takes place in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Alana reviewed uh, the original back in 2019 and she enjoyed it as well. She gave it an 80. Yep. And you enjoyed it. You you gave the new challengers an 82. Yes. I think it's a fun, highly interactive VN. A solid VN with lots of choices. Yes. That's the secret to a good, I guess, any good VN or RPG for me is choices, being able to well, do things. They can all be kinetic. Mentally, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how an esports, an esports league that just plays VNs would work. I guess that would be like a book club more than anything, really. Competitive, a competitive book club. I like that idea. I don't mind that idea B- either. Book club of the future, maybe? Yeah. Could see which endings you get in 999. And- <laughs> <laughs> That's not a terrible idea for a retro episode, actually, in the future. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to mention that to Solosi. If we did a... If we did a uh, a special every couple of months, it would be a, a retro book club <laughs> where it focuses on a singular visual novel. Ooh, that would be fun. I mean, I know we kind of do that already, but now we have a brand for it. Um, well, uh, thank you very much for uh, talking about this game. And I mean, God knows if the title is inspired by Super Street Fighter 2, we're expecting probably a few more versions of this game to come out in the near future. Uh, I there hope are- so. It's actually know. a fun little universe. Offhand, I'm not sure how many versions of Street Fighter 2 there are. There have got to be at least there's, eight. There's more than five. <laughs> there's more than five twos, yes. Uh, which technically would be ten. Um, well, I actually wanted to talk about something on the show today as well, uh, which is a little bit different. It's not... It, it, this is funny because, you know, we try to focus on current games here. And while this is not a current game, it is current content. Um, my energy has been a little bit down lately and i just i I was thinking about starting a new game but i was like i just i want to just play something that's like comfort food and i thought ah fallout 4 fallout 4 is comfort food for me so i I loaded up fallout 4 again and jam-packed it full of mods with brand new content and uh some of the most recent content that came out for fallout 4 is chapter 2 of one of the most popular mods called sim settlements 2 which is a sequel to sim settlements which was a mod for the thing now uh Sim Settlements 2 is an incredibly ambitious mod uh, for Fallout 4. There are a lot of different mods. Like some, you know, they'll they'll put it in a new mod, will put in a new weapon, uh, maybe a couple of new locations, maybe a new character, uh, a couple of new quests, things like that. Or would they'll play around with the mechanics. In terms of Sim Settlements 2, it completely revamps the settlement system. Uh, going way beyond just that, but that's the main focus of it. Because the settlement system in Fallout 4 is not good. Uh, it's it's half baked. No. It's just it's very half baked. Um, if you want to play with settlements, basically, when I was originally playing through the game before mods were out, I would just be like, "All right, here's your bed. Here's your bed. Here's your bed. Here's your bed. You want a roof? Too bad. Uh, here's a generator, so you have enough power. Here's a pump. Deal with it." And that would just be kind of how I dealt with my settlements. Um, I think that's how a lot of people dealt with their settlements who settlements who weren't into actually, uh, I guess, building. Now, Sim Settlements Two. I mean, it's right in the title. It takes a very SimCity approach to settlements and completely revamps them. So instead of you building houses and beds like that, you build plots for your characters. So you have like residential plots, commercial plots, industrial plots, uh, and a variety of other ones as well. And you will build a plot and you can assign a settler to that plot and they will build the house for you. And they will they will build the the business or the... the uh, uh, the resource or anything like that. So you can do that manually, or you can also download uh, city plans, which are exactly what they sound like. They're, they're city plans. And you can 
just go to the settlement desk, which is the, uh, I guess the central place where this, this mod takes place. Uh, you, you build this and you just go to it and you can pick a city plan, pick a city leader. So pick any one of your settlers and your settlements will build themselves up and you can fine tune it. And it, it's much more like a simulation, uh, than a building sim. And it takes the whole, the whole pain in the butt having to build a system that fallout for went for out of your hands. And all of a sudden settlement building is kind of fun because it's much more of a management sim rather than uh, what Bethesda originally intended. But this mod goes way beyond that. So that's the settlement system, but the whole uh, there's lore around these plots uh, with they're called ASAM sensors and a, a character comes to uh, sanctuary at the beginning of the game and is like, Hey, you want to try out these ASAM sensors and uh, we'll show you how to use them to build plots. But then the game starts building up around that. And rather than it just focusing on settlements, it actually starts to change the world uh, of Fallout 4 with these ASAM sensors. So not only do your communities build themselves up without you having to do anything, other areas do as well. So uh, you just you genuinely start to see massive change in the Commonwealth based on the choices you make and what you do. Whereas in Fallout 4 original, it's pretty static, like a you'll come upon a, a, an abandoned city that's infested by ghouls or raiders. Well, in this case, that abandoned city as you play and as you clear out, uh, as you clear the, the raiders out, it'll start building up again and people will start kind of settling in that area and defenses will be built and new quests will come in and brand new characters. So what this mod does is I think fixes Fallout 4's biggest problem. Uh, and that is uh, the, the half-baked settlement building up the Commonwealth idea uh, and makes it into something very engaging and interesting with some some exceptional characters as well. Like we're talking about voice acting. And whenever you're dealing with a fan-based mod, yeah, voice acting is very is variable, to put it mildly. But what's amazing is how well the voice acting uh, is integrated into the game and just how much it matches the voice acting quality of Bethesda. Um, the only problem with this mod and the other mods i've downloaded of course uh, are bugs uh the game becomes extremely extremely unstable uh and that say <laughs> i'm saying that fallout 4 becomes extremely extremely unstable so that's putting it yeah, that's building a building a house on stilts on sand right there um i don't know how this quite works but i think one of the reasons why bethesda games are so popular to be modded is because of the bugs and the half-bakedness of the games i think that there's a lot of flexibility in there and I, I might be wrong about that but like there's a lot you can do with the engine because it's such a piece of crap um now what i think the reason why this isn't working and why there's so many bugs is because it's asking fallout 4 to do something that fallout 4 was not designed for was not designed for but should have been like honestly i think bethesda would be nuts if they did not look at what this guy uh the creator i think his name is kingrath was doing with this uh mod and try to incorporate it into fallout 5 or elder scroll 6 or whatever i think starfield's a little bit too late for that but uh yeah there's honestly if if you've played fallout 4 and you enjoyed fallout 4 Take a look at some of the mods that have come out in the last few years. There's tons of YouTube channels out there that just focus on the mods. I have some other ones in here. One's called The Bleachers, which is uh, just another story-based mod. It adds a, an entirely new area to Diamond City with brand new characters. It's great. 
uh, one of the best mods that I found is Start It Up, Start It Up, which lets you just completely skip the beginning of the game and actually gives you an entirely new original character who just is like you get to pick your identity. So you can be a you can be a, a scaver in the in the wasteland, or you can be a uh, merchant, and uh, it'll just start up the game from there. So you don't have to go through the whole sanctuary at the beginning pre-war stuff, which takes a good. 20 to 30 minutes to get through. Great, great mod. And there's some really excellent stuff. Have either of you played Fallout 4 before? I have. I have not. Uh, What is your opinion on it, Caitlin? Um, I wanted to like it because I loved Fallout 3 and got bored right around the time settlements (laughs) became a thing Mm because it just involved way too much uh, wasted time it felt like going back and managing settlements when i just wanted to play the game that sounds about right um sim settlements 2 would probably fix that problem um i i don't know i love fallout well i love most of the hell even fallout 76 has its moments the world is incredible um i just really like the setting i like i like the survival like how the how humanity has struggled to survive and i it really is kind of like one of my gaming comfort foods. Is there a mod that lets you romance the detective? Oh, Nick, probably. Because that's the other reason why I kind of lost interest. Is like this 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 guy is clearly the best character, but I can't romance him. So like, what's what's what what's up with that? <laughs> Look, I I am not going to disagree with you because Nick is an awesome character and definitely my favorite in the game. I love Nick. He's just this like. 1940s style private detective who's also an android or a synth um and just an exceptional character uh no but like i mean fallout 4 it's not as well regarded as like new vegas uh or fallout 3 but i think there's a lot there that bethesda did right um i think the big problem with bethesda games uh the developer not the publisher is that well it's it's a strength and weakness. It's modding. It's they they have always released kind of unfinished games and kind of expected their fans to fix it. Like the if you want to play Fallout 4, the first thing you do is download the unofficial Fallout 4 patch from Nexus and install it as fast as you can because the, the fans have fixed most of the problems with Fallout 4. And that's not their job. That's Bethesda's job. Um, Bethesda is notorious for releasing buggy games, including Fallout 76, as I've talked about at length. Um, however, they do have a new title coming out uh, next year. It was supposed to come out at the end of this year, but they pushed it to 2023, which is a very wise decision, in my opinion, called Starfield. And Starfield is their next big, giant Todd Howard RPG. Um, and they announced it last year at E3. Uh, we suspect that we're going to see a lot more of it at this year's E3 period, not E3. At this year's not E3, yeah. Um and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, um, and I, I'm just I'm going to ask the discussion question this week is going to be about this and Bethesda in general. Uh, Bethesda built their reputation on, uh, you know, the Fallout series and the Elder Scrolls series. If Starfield is a complete disaster, do you think Bethesda development can survive? Ooh, that is tricky because I don't think they can. Yeah, I'm not sure they could either. There's certain certain series where you can kind of expect you're like we just don't talk about this title in the game Mm. as my as jinx would say in arcade spirits but that would be a (laughs) that would be a pretty tall order given some of their other games like regardless of whether or not uh like even if it's if it's fairly polished if there's a single bug 
in Starfield. People are going to be like, oh, Bethesda's back up to their old crap. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about releasing another broken game like Fallout, well, 4 when it came out, Fallout 76. Uh, I have a lot of hope for Starfield. My only concern is that it looks like a humorless version of The Outer Worlds. I like sci-fi, so I'm I'm curious about it. So hopefully it does well. But yeah, I can kind of understand that. Yeah, I'm interested. I'm, I'm less interested in the fact that I have to get an Xbox Series X to play it. <laughs> Um, or I don't know, try to, I, I, I don't think I want to run it on my, on my PC. I, you know, it's kind of, that's an interesting question because we've seen that already happen with Cyberpunk and CD Projekt Red and they have not gone under despite Cyberpunk being essentially an, a horribly, you know, half finished buggy mess when it first came out. Um, they've certainly lost uh, I think some of their reputation. Yeah, it's almost the anti-Bethesda in terms of the polish. Uh, what do you mean? I'm sorry. Sorry, CD Projekt Red, in my mind, prior to Cyberpunk, uh, in many ways, even though apparently Witcher 3 was a bit of a mess when it was first released, they almost have a the anti-Bethesda in terms of the level of polish that their games had. And that that curtain kind of came down with cyberpunk yeah i mean i'm not necessarily so focused on whether or not the games are polished i'm focused more on the question of would one big uh hyped flop be enough to destroy the studio and it didn't destroy cyber it didn't destroy cd project red at least didn't destroy it yet Mm. um and i mean bethesda's got microsoft behind them now so which to be honest has me a little bit more hopeful about the level of quality, uh, quality and quality control that Starfield might be might have behind it. Um, I want Starfield to be real good. Like I, again, I love the Fallout games and Bethesda's, I guess, formula for making games really hits me where I live. It's just that I don't think I could deal with a spaceship falling through the world map randomly for no reason at all. Or like what would be a space equivalent of a flying cow? I guess a flying cow. A flying really. cow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Earthworm Jim. Or a flying horse. Woo. Um, because Bethesda does have that reputation for releasing broken games. And Fallout 76 certainly didn't help with that. And I just at some point, incompetence has to be punished, right? I mean, that's a rhetorical question. Clearly it doesn't. But my hopes is that Starfield will be excellent and that it will revive interest in bethesda developed games it's a little hard to speculate though because we don't really know much at all about starfield i mean we don't even really know like what is how how is the game played like what is what is the basic gameplay loop because all they've shown us are basically what look like bull shots of small little chunks of what could be just cutscenes and not actual gameplay. Yeah, they're slices. So it's really hard to like get a sense of what are they even going. I mean they 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 they've talked it up about what it's supposed to be, but like, you know, seeing is believing and words only words often are used by PR, you know, branches to hype up games. So like what is it's hard to even say what is the scope that they're going for here like in in some respects it almost seems like bethesda is setting up starfield to be like a competitor to star citizen like Mm. at least it from the way they've described 
what Starfield is going to be kind of sounds like it's in that same vein of this is meant to be an expansive, super realistic space exploration, epic adventure kind of thing. And, you know, they've shown you on a ship. So I don't know. My expectation is we get to fly a ship um, in space and wear suits and do space things. Um, But probably coming out a lot sooner than star citizen. And, you know, at least from this perspective of the consumer, not costing nearly as much money. True. And that's the thing too. What they've shown us looks a lot different than the Bethesda games that I've played, like just Mm. in terms Mm -hmm. of the concept, but also the visuals look a lot. What, what they have shown looks really good in next gen, but I mean, we've had that sort of, you know, oh my God, this looks too good to be true. And I'm not even talking about cyberpunk. Uh, I could, I, I could mention, um, uh, uh, you know, watchdogs had that sort of that reveal that was too good to be true. And then the actual game ended up not being nearly what we all thought it was going to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. My hope is that they'll pull it off. Um, although I do have to admit, to be completely honest, based on Based on Bethesda, I mean, if I had to choose between playing Starfield right now or playing The Outer Worlds 2, I'd choose The Outer Worlds 2. Oh, I think The Outer Worlds 2 is going to have better writing no Exactly. what. Yeah, it's clever. And I just, everything I've seen about Starfield makes me think Outer Worlds, to, Outer Worlds just without any cleverness or that, that satirical edge that is kind of inherent in Fallout, or should be anyway. Anyway, um... Well, we'll find out in about two weeks when Not E3 happens. Uh, That's going to be a crazy couple of days, uh, and we will be featuring all of that news on Random Encounter. In fact, I don't know yet. I sincerely doubt I'll be able to edit the entire episode in a single night because the last show of this series is going to be on a Sunday. Uh, So there's a chance Random Encounter might be a day late next week because we want to make sure that we talk about all of the news, but we'll see. Um, So anyway, for this episode... Thank you very much, Audrey and Caitlin, for coming by and talking about uh, Vampire and uh, Arcade Spirits, the new challengers. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on like this. Obviously, it's uh, always lovely to talk with both of you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. Oh, Caitlin, we haven't mentioned Final Fantasy XIV yet. Well, um, we just did. did. Oh, good. Okay, I can check that off my list. It's, uh, (laughs) well, Final Fantasy XIV news, they removed the the inactivity timer so that you can now AFK and Limsa to your heart's content again. So there, there's Final Fantasy XIV news. I heard something about Final Fantasy XIV is going to be moving into much more single player aspects or offering it. You can play it by yourself now. Ooh. Uh, They've already done a lot of that work with a realm reborn all of the main story dungeons can now be run with uh they're not called trust anymore they're called duty support um so yeah i mean you can play through a a lot of the main story for at least from a realm reborn and then Shadowbringers and Endwalker uh, outside of the trials uh, by yourself. So yeah, they're 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 making some of those changes. <sighs> it just makes me want to play it more. Okay, <laughs> good. Then I have done my job. It's all it's what you do on this show. Yes, I make <laughs> everyone want to play, play fourteen. Yes, I know. Um, if you want to hear more of me resisting the urge to play Final Fantasy fourteen, you can listen to our back catalog of Random Encounter. Just look for Caitlin's name in any episode, and she will be tempting me to play um or listen to any other uh, old episode of random encounter there's usually an undercurrent of me trying not to play final fantasy 14 in all of them 
Um, but this is not our only podcast here, RPG Fan. We also have a few others. Retro Encounter is coming back. Uh, Mike was on uh, Random last week, and we talked about it for a bit. Uh, we're going to be doing a Sweet an episode in June, and I am super excited about that. I've played through the first game again, and I enjoyed it not as much as I did the very first time I played it, like decades ago, but I still really enjoy it. I'm really, really excited to talk about it. Such a good game. It is. I mean, you've you've recently played... Uh, You've recently played through uh, a Suikoden game, haven't you, Audra? Yes. Mm. We might talk about that in the near future. Okay. Um, <laughs> it might be one that listeners on this show have not played, believe it or not. Um, we also have Rhythm Encounter, which is RPG fans' music podcast. Last week, we had a crossover episode with the uh, creator of the uh, YouTube channel 8-Bit Music Theory. I am a massive fan of 8-Bit Music Theory's channel. It's just such a terrific mix of... Uh, going into not just RPG or adventure game music, but like video game music in general and deep dives into music theory with it. Um, and frankly speaking, I it it should give me PTSD remembering all of my theory classes when I was a teenager, but it doesn't. It just, I just, it, it's really, really good stuff. And he just released a new album too, which is available on his YouTube channel. Uh, and I think it's, it's obviously available for purchase too. So I would check that out as well. Uh, and then next week, we're going to be focusing on music from the future. Uh, so actually, Fallout 4 would have been a pretty good choice for that, although I'm not sure Bongo 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 is an appropriate song from the future, but it's what I think <laughs> about when I think about an apocalyptic future. Adam Bomb Baby, music from the future. Um, if you'd like to get in contact with us, you can fire me off a message here at podcast at rpgfan.com. I'd love to hear from you if you have any ideas for discussion questions, uh, future episode themes, or just want to say hi, please go right ahead. Uh, if you want to send me an email personally, you can do so at jloganrpgfan.com. You can also find me on Twitter at jono underscore Logan. Uh, I'm not the only person on this podcast who has an online presence. Audra, where can we find you online? Audra B at rpgfan.com. That's terrific. And Caitlin, where can we find you online? Uh, Caitlin A at rpgfan.com. <laughs> okay. Um, if you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with your friends. Help us get the word out there. Uh, feel free to rate us on iTunes or your other podcast player of choice. Again, thank you, Audra and Caitlin, so much for joining me today. Thank you, audience, for joining me today. And whatever you're playing, have fun. <laughs>